What's good, though? Welcome to Throwing Stones. Alongside Ryan Griffin, I'm Matt Basson. And if you don't know, you should know, we talking hoops and not just our beloved Pistons. Got a big show today. We talking Cade, U of M, and MSU tournament matchups. Ryan and I will give you our Elite Eights, our Final Fours, and our National Championship winners. We talking Kobe, winning time, and NBA Twitter of the Week. Before we dive in, got to remind you to like, subscribe, all that good stuff, wherever you can find us. That would be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We got TikTok now and full episodes on YouTube. And to those already finding us and commenting, we absolutely appreciate you and your feedback. So please keep them coming. Now, Ryan, let's get it right, get it tight, just like AIDS game, baby. That's right. Got one month left. One month till rookie of the year. I know, and Cade's been making a push. We talked about this on our show last week, and he's just continuing that push. You know, since then, he's become the uh, – or he's tied Kelly Tropica with the longest streak by Pistons rookie, scoring 20 points. He's done that in stri- in seven straight games, excuse me. Um, and he's real close to averaging 17, 6, and 5, which would put him in a list with Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Grant Hill, who is also uh, a Pistons rookie sensation, as well as Luka Doncic uh, for the only rookies – I'm sorry, since the three-point era to uh, to accomplish that feat. So, Kay's just been pushing, man, and I think one of the most important things about Kay Cunningham is his poise right now as a rookie. He's being tasked to do something that no other rookie is being tasked with. He's being double teamed like by far the most out of any rookies. And like in all of the NBA, I think he's being double teamed the the 18th most times. If you're looking at, you know, number of possessions per game that somebody is double teamed. So if like the other teams in the league are already seeing him as like this top 20 threat and are going to double team him more than just about anybody else, uh, it's, it's really impressive what he's able to do and the numbers that he's able to continue to put up in this last, you know, this last month push for rookie of the year. He had another 25 and five, like 25, five and five game um, since we last recorded adding, just adding to his numbers and extending his lead on all the other rookies combined in that aspect as well. And it's, he's just been the Pistons whole offense and I know the Pistons aren't very good, but, to see what like what this kid is doing since missing part of the start of the season uh, and really since the all-star break, like his control of the game is so much above anybody else, like in the rookie class. And there are times in these games, you know, no matter who they're playing where he's looking like the best player on the court, or if it's pissing Celtics, right. It might be like Jason Tatum, but then Cade is looking better than like a Jalen Brown or somebody else. And it's just really impressive to see, you know, him continue to do this uh, and play these games when, you know, the Pistons obviously really don't have anything to play for. Or anyone to play with. Frank Jackson's not playing. Killian's not playing. Diallo's not playing. Magruder's not playing. Like, they had eight guys playing against the Clippers in their last game. And And even if those guys were playing, like, sorry to cut you off, even if those guys were playing, like, take a listen to the names you just listed. Right. (laughs) Diallo, Frank Jackson, Ronnie Magruder. But, I mean, like you said, you know, his usage rate, you know, it's up to 27%, which leads the team and is the highest among all rookies. He is mimicking Luka so much in the way that he handles the ball, the way he operates against defenders as well, where he's able to draw them in and then find an open man while also getting his own. It's just it's just impressive. And I understand that he started late. He started slow. He was injured in the summer league, and so he didn't start the season, and he's been playing catch-up ever since. But at some point, you got to – 
give up that whole catch-up thing and just look at what the man's been doing compared to the two guys he's been chasing in Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley. Very good rookies, both of them. They're putting up 15 and eight a game. Cade's doing that at halftime. Yeah. So you, you got to give credit where credit's due. Yes, he's on a bad team. They're all on bad or kind of bad teams. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it up to, to Evan Mobley and what the what the Cavaliers have done to make a push for the play-in game for the playoffs. And Scotty Barnes found himself on a, you know, a, a mixed match between good and bad between the way the Raptors have played as of late. But you're coming off a team that was, you know, that won the NBA Finals a couple years ago. The Pistons have been bad. Been bad since Chauncey, Rip, Big Ben, all them gone. We've been bad. And so to see what he's doing and how much he's able to do it while not looking like a rookie pretty much at all. You know, he'll have those turnovers where you're like, okay, that was a rookie mistake. Everyone has turnovers, but there's some where the rookies just look completely off balance. Kate has those once in a while. He just looks so in control already. It's just impressive. He doesn't look like a rookie 75% 75% of the time that he's out on the floor. Yeah, I mean, and it's like it, it it's it's insane. And there's a reason he was the number one rookie coming into the year, right? There was a uh, a podcast that Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons just dropped, uh, I think on Sunday, and they were talking about the rookie of the year stuff a little bit. And they're talking about, you know, Mobley, obviously, and Bill Simmons liked Mobley like over Kate at, at the beginning of the draft process. So they're discussing that. And Ryan Russillo said, I think I was there with you. But even before like the draft, I asked every like every front office in the NBA, you know, a person in every front office, he might not have access to all the GMs, <laughs> but he asked every front office in the NBA and every single one of them came back, came back and were like, no, like we'd, we'd rather have Cade, like if we had the number one pick. So for him to really live up to the hype, there wasn't so many rookies in this draft class that came in with a lot of hype, but it seemed like Cade had been the number one choice you know, leading up to the draft for really that whole year, even like that year and a half, it was always, you know, the race to get Cade or the, the prize was Cade Cunningham. Um, you know, yep. if you if you were on Twitter at all, you saw these different fan bases who wanted the number one pick. They all wanted the same guy, right? Right. And the Pistons got that guy, and he's fit every bit uh, of that bill, you know, since he's since he started playing the season. No, absolutely. He, he's he's been phenomenal, and he's catching up. You know, that whole Kia rookie ladder. Uh, you know that that you can look up on. He's now number two. He's right behind Evan Mobley. Hey, he beat Frog Scotty Barnes on the last one that I looked at. So he's making his way up. He's got one month left to get there. I hope he gets there. You know, regardless if he gets there or not, the numbers he's putting up, the group that he's been lumped into by these numbers should tell you the story of how this kid's career is going to go. It's going to be an all-timer. There's just look at the names that he's joined. For the, I mean, 90% of them are all-timers. So as long as he stays healthy, there's no reason to think that he can't join this list when his career is said and done. And if he does it in the red, white, and blue of the Pistons, all the better for us. The, the soon-to-be teal. The soon-to-be teal. And that's when I will leave the fan base. Oh, you bum. <laughs> hey, I actually lived through them. You just heard about him. We're, we're pro teal on this side. <laughs> All right. We got to move on because as much as we love talking about Caden, our Pistons, it's March Madness. The field is set. The brackets are out. Oh, hold on. It's, it's a little dark in here. Let me get that spotlight going on our Michigan State Spartans. 
and the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan, Brian, ekes in to the NCAA field. And this is going to anger a whole lot of people that we work with. But <laughs> eking in at 17 and 14, had one of the toughest strength of schedules because everyone loves how hard the Big Ten is and all these teams do is beat each other up. But this is a team that has not won three games in a row all year and went out with a whimper in the Big Ten tournament. Indiana coming back from 17 points in the second half to out the Wolverines. They now get the Rams of Colorado State. And what bad luck for the Rams of Colorado State because these poor guys are not tall. They don't rebound. And Michigan's got Dibate, Dickinson, a couple of boys that are going to be grabbing all the rebounds, all the second chance points, and it's going to make life very difficult for Colorado State. Yeah, I think the matchups are interesting in this game. You just mentioned Colorado State's lack of size, but it's like truly astonishing. They don't have anybody over 6'8". Like on, Not the start. The they, have, they have two guys. They got a 6'10 guy who averages all of <clears throat> four points and two rebounds in James oh. Moores, and he's the one who's going to be getting Dickinson the most. And if he fouls out, which he most likely will, you have 6'11", Jacob Jennison, who is a sophomore that averages zero points, and 0.2 rebounds. Doesn't yeah, really- <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he's a huge part of the game plan. Uh, so, no, I mean, it seems like Dickinson's going to feast. Like, how could he not? I think the, you know, the way you're going to try and win if you're Colorado State is you're going to let Dickinson get his, and then you're going to just hope to God that, you know, you can shut down the, the rest of the Michigan team. And with this being an 11 over a 6, you know, it might sound like an upset or a traditional March Madness um, you know, lower seeded team, double digit seed team mm-hmm. winning in the first round, but Michigan's favored in this game uh, over Colorado State. So it, it wouldn't be an upset at all. The The thing that's interesting is I think Colorado State is better guards than Michigan does. So how are they going to be able to, you know, play really? I don't expect Michigan's guards to do a whole lot on offense. I don't think they're going to try to do a lot on offense. So it's going to be can the guards of Colorado State take over the game? Or is Michigan's size, you know, just going to be too much to to overcome? Uh, personally, I, th- I think it will. Um, I think Michigan should beat Colorado State, uh, although we have some some maybe rumorish news that uh, Devontae Jones might not play in the game. Um, by the time this comes out, uh, Michigan will probably have already played. So we, we might see uh, we might see if that have came to fruition or not. Um, but I mean, it's. It's going to be tricky on both sides. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a route by any means. But if you're Michigan, the clear advantage in your game, you know, is your big man. That's bad news for Michigan if Devontae Jones is not playing because the Rams have really two very good players. One's NBA prospect, David Roddy Jr., 19 points, seven rebounds, shoots 60% from two, 45% from three. The other is Isaiah Stevens. So junior, he's their point guard. Averages 15 points and five assists. Uh, and he's the guy that you want Devontae Jones on because they're both lightning quick with their first step. They both can finish, you know, at the rim. And you need someone like Jones to stick to Stevens. Look, Michigan's the better team out of these two as far as the matchups in this game. The, the size, the rebounding, the second chance points. That's where this game for me is at least is won or lost. 
if Michigan can continue to control the boards and get those second chance opportunities and make good on, on most of them, they're going to win this game. But Colorado State has a couple of guys that can score the ball. And if they can cause enough havoc and not let Michigan build a lead and stick with them, they can pull off this quote-unquote upset as the sixth seed. But if you don't have Jones on Stevens, I don't know who from Michigan is going to pick up that slack. It's not going to be Eli Brooks. I don't think he's picking up that slack defensively. So that's not a good news for Michigan if Jones is out. No, and I mean, it's it's hearsay right now, but Jones is probably the reason they're in the NCAA tournament, you know, in that comeback win uh, over Ohio State. He played just a tremendous uh, basketball game, um, and he played pretty well. Uh, if I remember in the first half against Indiana, too, before Michigan choked it away, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's going to kind of be the other story of the game. Even if Michigan builds one of these big leads, Indiana wasn't the first big lead they've lost all year. I think they've lost like four double-digit leads in the second half of games that they ended up going on to lose the game. And no, say they go two and two in those games and only blow two of them, then they're probably not even in this situation where they have to play Colorado State. You know, they're probably a, a ten or a nine, somewhere somewhere around there. But uh, you know, I think Michigan's going to have to finish. But certainly, you know, being able to rebound your misses and the other team's misses uh, should help you kind of quell any run that Colorado State uh, might go on. Yeah, and if you're a Michigan fan and you're looking for what are you going to do against Roddy? Diabate is the guy. They're, that's the guy they're going to put on him. David Roddy, he's six foot five, but he's built like a bulldog. Uh, he loves like to get six five two fifty, right? Like, was that? Isn't he like six five two fifty? Yeah, he's he's yeah. a big boy. <laughs> he's a big boy, and you're gonna need Diabate to be the one to really, you know, kind of shut him down. The Rams have been shutting themselves down offensively. This is a team that scores seventy five points a game, except for the last six games. For some reason, they're averaging sixty. So if that's the offense that comes out, Michigan might have a walk in the park. But if they find their offense again and get back north of seventy. Michigan's going to be in for a fight, and uh, it should be, you know, it's going to be one of the more interesting first round matchups, absolutely, in this NCAA tournament. Another interesting matchup, and this is one, Ryan, that we saw coming a mile away. You knew when this was getting close that this could be a possibility. You knew they were going to jump on this, and they did. Michigan State Spartans taking on their former guard in Foster Lawyer, who leads the Davidson Wildcats. And. There's so many connections between these two teams. You know, it, it doesn't hurt that on the Golden State Warriors, you've got Draymond Green on one side, Steph Curry on the other side. Both their coaches have been long-standing coach. I mean, you know, you think Izzo's been around for a long time. Yeesh. Bob McKillop <laughs> over at Davidson, he's been around since Glenn Rice was playing for Michigan. <laughs> these two coaches know each other. It's going to be... This is going to be a battle, Ryan. To me, without giving what too much away, I'll let you get into your breakdown of what you think is going to happen. To me, it's all about our defense, and I'll get into more of that in a minute. I'm I'm so happy that Michigan State drew Davidson because if there's any team that's going to be equipped to shut down Foster Lawyer, it's the team that Foster Lawyer spent his entire career on before here. But no, we saw Foster Lawyer struggle when he was at Michigan State with size and athletic point guards. And that's what Michigan State has, right? They have athletic guards. They can throw Jaden Akins at you. They can throw A.J. Hogard on you. Um, you know, Tyson Walker, probably not quite on the level of the other two guys defensively. But they can put them on Foster Lawyer. Izzo knows all of Foster's weaknesses. A lot of that roster knows all of Foster's weaknesses, of which there are many. So I'm 
uh, I'm pretty excited Michigan State drew this matchup, and I think it is. I think it's a huge benefit to the Spartans. Um, I th- I don't think they're going to have any problem shutting down Foster. You know, the, I know Davidson has has some other players. Uh, you know, that can beat you from deep. Um, but I, I don't think Michigan State should have any issues with Foster Lawyer at all. I think they're going to exploit him more than any other team in the country has. And if they don't, then shame on them. Okay, well, <clears throat> some things to worry about. Davis is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. They have four players that average at least 12 points per game. They average 76 points a game, which is 58th most in the country. The eighth best three-point shooting team in the NCAA is at almost 39%. And this is where Michigan State generally this year was good defensively. They were pretty good on the perimeter. As of late, heading into the Big Ten tournament, they were giving up threes all day long. Michigan got a bunch against us. Ohio State got a bunch against Like It wasn't that patented Michigan State defense. And this is why I say it comes down to this more than anything, because I absolutely agree with you. Shutting down Foster Lawyer should not be much of a problem for Michigan State. But Hyung Jung Lee is a good scorer as well. They've got Michael Jones, who's a decent player as well. They got guys that can spread the ball and shoot from deep. If our perimeter defense is not up to the task, this is where we can get in trouble a la a, cover your ears, Spartan fans, uh, Middle Tennessee State. (laughs) MTSU killed us with the three ball. And if our defense is not up to the task and our threes are not falling, because we're a pretty decent three-point shooting team too at times, It could be a long day for Michigan State. I hope it's not. I hope it's a walk in the park. I hope Foster Lawyer plays the way he played to finish the A-10 tournament against Richmond, one for seven, for seven points, as opposed to his, you know, 17 points per game that he averaged this year. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you said it, right? Michigan State's a good three-point shooting team in their own right. You know, Davidson Davidson is at 38.6%, and the Spartans are at 37.7%. So I, I don't necessarily even think matching threes with them uh, is going to be a problem. It's just a matter of, you know, if some of our guys are, are going to take them. Uh, one, one of the things I think we can do as well is, you know, exploit Foster Lawyer defensively because A.J. Hogard, uh, he was attacking even, the, even in the game that we lost against, um, against Purdue. You know, Foster Lawyer was attacking, right? We saw Tyson Walker be a little bit more aggressive in the Big Ten tournament. And if our guards go straight, like straight at Foster Lawyer, you're going to see another, you know, another pitcher moment of somebody with their foot on his chest finishing fast break like uh, like he had against Duke. I think it was Duke who uh, they dunked on like Foster Lawyer and put his foot right on his chest on the ground. Yeah, but I think uh, I don't know, and I, I just think our guards are going to be able to um, like shut him down and then exploit him on the other end. And I just think overall we're a better team than Davidson is. You know, we played tougher competition, and here's one of the things that I think can bode well for Michigan State in this tournament is getting out of playing Big Ten teams because when they were crazy hot to start the year, uh, you know, they weren't playing any Big Ten teams, and then the Big Ten play started that's where you started to see some of the shakiness of them um so i think getting away from those conference teams and the teams that are familiar with you they play a similar brand of basketball uh, i think can be a benefit for michigan state another thing they got to make sure they do and something they had done as a late they even did it against purdue despite the loss take care of the basketball because davidson takes care of the basketball 
They average just nine under 10 turnovers per game. Uh, and we've seen all year that the Spartans at times average that in the first 10 minutes. So got to take care of the ball. And really weird stat that I found, Ryan, is that the Spartans are actually five and three against the top 15 ranked teams in the country when it comes to turning over the ball. Davidson being one of those kind of teams, but Michigan State beat Minnesota, who was number five. They beat Wisconsin twice. And they are what I think they're the nation's second cleanest team when it comes to turnovers. So defensively, can't get lost on screens at the perimeter and leave wide open three point shooters. Take care of the basketball. Bingham, get your big body down low, get blocks, get rebounds, get some dunks, put a little fear in those guys, and the rest should take care of itself because I don't think Foster Lawyer is going to be a factor in this game. I think he's going to be what we saw from foster lawyer more often than not when he played for Michigan state, which is too small and just not quick enough. So we made a, a promise to you guys that we were going to kind of give away our, uh, our finishes for the NCAA tournament, even though it's just getting going and we will for future shows, talk about what has happened and what we're going to be making changes. Cause I'm pretty sure neither one of us is going to be perfect with our elite eights and final four picks. So, Ryan, uh, who do you have coming out of the West to be in that Elite Eight? Out of the West in the Elite Eight, I have uh, Gonzaga and UCLA. Nope, sorry, Gonzaga and, and uh, Texas Tech. Well, that makes two of us. All right. <laughs> who you got coming out of the East? Out of the East, I have uh, – I just gave him away. Um, UCLA, UCLA and, and Kentucky. Okay. That makes two of us. Stop copying my homework. All right, who you got coming out of the South? The South is Arizona and Tennessee. That's right. I got Air- – okay, we got a difference for once. I got Arizona and I got Villanova because I want no part of seeing Tennessee again. We played them at Tennessee. It was a garbage game for us that we did not win. Not happy about it. Don't want to see those big bodies again. All right, and who you got coming out of the Midwest? Kansas and Auburn. All right, I got Kansas and Wisconsin. So – we got some differences on that side of the bracket, exactly the same on the other side of the bracket. Who you got for the final four? Uh, Gonzaga, UCLA in a, in a rematch, and then Arizona and Auburn. All right. I got Gonzaga and Kentucky. I got Arizona and Kansas. And who's your championship game? Gonzaga, Arizona, and I got Gonzaga with the dub. Sorry, sorry, sorry man. Well, we got the same national championship game, but – Y'all already know where I'm going for my national championship winner for the first time since 1997 for the Pac-12, as well as for my Arizona Wildcats. Arizona Wildcats cutting down the net. Tommy Lloyd beating his former boss, Mark Few, his former team in Gonzaga. Why? Because we bigger. We get we spread the ball even better than Gonzaga does. We average the most assists in the NCAA, and we can score with anybody. And something we do better than Gonzaga we play defense, real defense. So, bear down, Arizona. What? Uh, so, which one of these teams did it like hurt you the most to give them a loss? I mean, besides like obviously Michigan State because you like them, but like what team do you think can end up making you look stupid? Um, team that I think could make me look stupid. That's tough. So you uh, you can simmer on that. For me, it was Purdue. 
Okay. And maybe just because I saw them like beat Michigan State, and mm-hmm. you know we've watched more Purdue games this year because we're we're in Big Ten country. But uh, I love Jaden Ivy. They have Zach Eady, what seven seven foot four or <laughs> something like that. And we've seen Purdue as a team not be able to get over that hump. And like you got to do it once. Yeah. So like I have Purdue losing to um, where wherever my bragging went. Um, I had Purdue losing to Kentucky to uh, in the in the Sweet 16. And I, I don't know. It's still something that, honest to God, I might end up switching before before the games <laughs> tip off, um, you know, uh, on Thursday. <laughs> but it's – I don't know, man. It's it's tough. But Purdue is that one team for me where I was like, they, they could very much make a Final Four run. You know, you have probably the best guard in the country. You have a big who just a lot of people can't match up against. And you're, you're just a good team all around. You've had a coach who hasn't had March success before, but he's certainly been to the NCAA tournament uh, a bunch of times, you know, just kind of an experienced team and one that I would not be surprised at all uh, if, if they beat Kentucky and then, we you know, went on to beat UCLA and made a, made a serious run. So thinking about it, for me, it's Purdue's opponent in the Big Ten championship game. I like watching Iowa play. I like the way they move the ball offensively. I like all the threes that are coming off of that team, um, which is something I don't normally like, but I do like the way Iowa does it. Um, I have them falling to Kansas. I would love for them to upset Kansas. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know, and, and if they if they do what they've shown they're capable of, you know, put up 105 points and hit a whole bunch of threes, they can beat any team in the country if all that is working. So for me, it's probably then. Uh, do you have any double-digit upsets? And I'm not talking about 11 Michigan. That doesn't count. They're favored by Vegas. But do you have any big upsets in the first round of the NCAA tournament? I have. I think my my biggest upset is I have Vermont taking out Arkansas. Yeah. In the, in the first round. And then, you know, I have some more 11 sixes. I have a five, I have a 12 over a five. I have Wyoming uh, or Indiana for that matter, beating St. Mary's, whoever they end up matching up against. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm kind of looking at chalk and I'm, I'm pretty upset about it because I know it's pretty <laughs> boring. But Ver, Vermont's that one team that I have uh, taking out Arkansas and then winning the next round too and making it to the Sweet 16. Now, the Catamount's no joke. My cousin, one who played pro ball in Europe, that's where he played was, was Vermont, so I'm always rooting for them. Grew up rooting for them as a kid, obviously rooting for him. Uh, I have a 13 over a 4, and it is the South Dakota State Jackrabbits taking out the Friars of Providence. The Friars of Providence. Ryan, listen to this. Their average total of victory this season, 4.8 points. <laughs> In 11 days in February, they went three and one, all three needing at least one overtime to get that victory. This is a team that got absolutely obliterated by Creighton in the Big East uh, tournament, 85 to 58, and they were the four seed uh, and shooting just 30% from the floor. Meanwhile, Jackrabbits, 18 and 0 in the Summit League, and I'm looking at here. First in effective field goal percentage at 60%. First in three-point percentage at 45%. And second in points per game at 87%. So you're looking for upsets. You're looking for some big numbers to put up there because it can't be chalk. Look at Providence to fall in the first round. That's my pick. Well, I feel like I got to bring some numbers to the table now since you were over there 
acting acting like Jay Billis. Uh, <laughs> Vermont is in the top five in effective field goal percentage. They are also one of the best teams um, just at not turning the ball over, and they're the number one team in the country in defensive rebounding rate. And that's uh, you know a recipe for March success, right? You don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. You, you score a lot, and then you you get the defensive rebound when another team misses. Um, pretty pretty simple principles of basketball, but Ver, Vermont's a team that can do all of that. And you know you know one of these teams is going to pop off, and mm-hmm. for me, it is them. I mean, right out the gate when they did the show, it someone came out and was like, "All four 11s are making it out of the first round." Like that would be nuts if it actually happened. Uh, it's like that first one where it's really an upset outside of this Michigan one because they are favored. They got the perfect opponent in Colorado State. But like the seven ten, it's kind of a toss up. You know, the eight nine is the five twelve. We've been hearing for fifteen years now how often a twelve beats a five, so it's up there as well. But the eleven six, that's where the upsets really start coming. And uh, there's a lot of people liking all the 11s or most of the 11s this year. I know. And, like, for the 11-6 thing, like, I don't know if it was more niche back then, but, like, now a lot of these 11s are, like, power conference teams. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you have, um, again, a Michigan team who was, like, a top five or six team to start the year and who's playing better recently. So that's an obvious pick. You have Iowa State as a number 11, a team who's been, you know, just traditionally pretty good. You have, you know, Virginia, again, Virginia Tech, and not that they're playing some mid-major there, you know, they're playing Texas. Um, But then you have, you know, either, again, Rutgers or Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. So you're not having teams like Montana as an 11 or even a Davidson uh, as an 11. Like these are teams who have faced pretty good competition all year, and all of them probably have, you know, close to a, a top 10 win, I would think. Yeah, this ain't no Florida Gulf Coast or UW Green Bay or George Mason or anything like that. These are Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12 SEC schools that have been through the ringer and know how to play this time of year. So it definitely mixes things up from how things used to be for who 11 seeds were in the past. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Oh, we forgot, completely forgot to give our well wishes to a basketball legend in Detroit. George Blaha, the voice of the Pistons. Unless I'm forgetting something, but I'm pretty sure we forgot to mention that this man just had successful bypass surgery on his heart, and he's recovering. He's doing well. We wish George Blaha very well. We all grew up listening to him, and he's already announced he will be back next year for his 47th, 47th season as the voice of the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, from 47 seasons spanning across six decades, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, the 10s, and, the, and now, now the 20s. Um, you know, I, I always love listening to George Baja. I thought he was great when I started watching Pistons basketball. Um, you know, he's still entertaining to listen to. I don't know that there's a Pistons fan alive who, on a non-Pistons game, uh, you know, hasn't said, count that baby and the foul or the hoop and the harm. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those different Blaha-isms. You know, I've said it playing pickup basketball um, and just watching, you know, or watching my little brother play an eighth-grade basketball game or something like that. Um, it's, it's always count that baby in a foul till I die. All right, Ryan, you and I talked a lot of basketball over our years of knowing each other. You know who some of my favorite players of all time are. One's a Laker, Magic Johnson. One's a Piston, Isaiah Thomas. There's another one that's a Laker that took over the mantle eventually. And uh, he is what everyone yells when they're throwing a sock into a laundry bin (laughs) or they're throwing some trash into a trash can. 
We all know him by one name, one word. It's like Prince or Madonna or anything else. It's <laughs> Kobe. So, uh, so his name was brought up uh, this week by a, uh, one of the many Jason Williams that have been in the NBA. <laughs> Yeah, this is a white chocolate, one of the tortured members of those Sacramento Kings teams, which I think might be uh, an important note in what he said. Basically, he came out and he was saying, you know, Kobe's not top five of all time. And then he said, I might, you know, go as far as to say he's not one of the top five best Lakers of all time, which just seems absolutely preposterous to me. Um, and, you know, it, it got people kind of rightfully, uh, you know, mad at him because there's a lot of NBA players who love Kobe, right? Uh, a lot of NBA players have Kobe in their top five. You listen to really any of them, and Kobe's always one of the names that they mention. And, you know, I I kind of don't understand where this came from. Like, if somebody asks him the question, you can say he's not in your top five, which is fine, but to, like, say he's not a top five Laker is just absolute no. lunacy when he's, you know, number two at worst in terms of just being the Laker. That is, that is just he's number one or number two. <laughs> like. It's just Sacramento Queen haterade. That's all it is. He got his butt handed to him time and time again by Kobe and Shaq and those Lakers to the point where Sacramento said, you know what? We need a better point guard. We need someone who might not be as flashy because let's face it, Jason Williams, white chocolate, that man flashy as can be. Real entertaining to watch with a basketball in his hands. But didn't always win that much. Wasn't always clutch when it mattered in the fourth quarter. So they shipped him, and they brought in Mike Bibby. And the following year, the Kings were all of a sudden one of the favorites to be involved for the NBA championship. Because if you look at the Jason Williams and Chris Webber-led Kings, the Lakers were sweeping them out of the playoffs. Mike Bibby and Chris Webber and Vladi Divac and those Sacramento Queen teams went seven games with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, look, you can believe all the hype or whatever about the referee and giving it to the Lakers. I'm not here to argue otherwise. But in the end, you look in the record books, the Lakers got that championship. The Sacramento Queens did not. And, yes, I will continue to call them the Queens because <laughs> I hate that team up north, and I always will. It, like, it's, it's, it's preposterous. Like, so, like – Jay Williams, I've called him Jason, like I know him. Uh, his last season in Sacramento, he averaged nine points and five assists. Like, where are you? Like, <laughs> how do you get off out here talking about Kobe Bryant this way? Talking about he's not a top five Laker when the guy's got five championships. Like, the, the real question would obviously be, is Kobe Bryant top five of all time out of anybody who's played in the NBA? You know, Laker or not, and there's certainly, you know, some Lakers on that list right the most storied franchise in in basketball history but that's a a way more you know a, a way more relevant question a question that you can have way better discussion with than is he just a top five laker uh yeah because that's just preposterous like i'm sorry but it, it's magic and kobe and it depends on what you're looking for for who's your one and who's your two you know cap is absolutely in there jerry west is absolutely in there elgin baylor is in there uh Shaq is and the tipping point as well, uh, right around there. But you're going to tell me Kobe's not a top five Laker. You're out of your mind. Now, you want to say he's not top five all-time NBA player. There's an argument to be made with one way or the other, depending on what you're looking at. Considering that he is the absolute mirror of who most people say is the number one player of all time in Michael Jordan, 
and he is the closest anybody has ever seen to what Michael got because that man carbon copied his game. And if you have the ability to, why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, if you have the ability to copy Michael Jordan's game, why wouldn't you do it? And Kobe just about did it while having hands as about as small as mine compared to Michael Jordan's <laughs> hands, which you add about four inches onto my fingers and you got Michael Jordan's <laughs> finger length. But five championships, two finals MVPs, seven times in the NBA finals, uh, had to deal with some real lean years in between his championships. And that's when he kind of took off as the main option, 81 points in a game, NBA scoring champ twice in a row, got robbed of two or three other regular season MVPs. So he only has one, which is the biggest joke to me, but his resume stands the test of time with just about anybody's in the game of basketball. So for you, is he top five all time? That's the, that's the answer that people want to know. My bias is yes. My, my, my realistic side and basketball historian side. He's not in my, he's not in my starting five. Let me put it that way. My starting shooting guard is still Michael Jordan, as much as I love Kobe Bryant, but you give me point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward center. It's Magic Johnson. It's Michael Jordan. I'm going to get some hate for this, but it's Larry Bird. It's Tim Duncan at the power forward spot, and it's the greatest center of all time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's my starting five. Now, the first man coming off that bench is Kobe Bean Bryant. Absolutely. So I got him at six. Does that count? <laughs> uh, you're copping please out here. You're giving starting fives. For for me, there's four spots that would be undeniable. You got uh, you got Jordan, LeBron, Kareem. Um, those are my top three. Uh, and then I have Magic Johnson at four, and I think it's hard to hard to argue for anybody else. But that's when you can kind of start throwing guys in. And then I do have Kobe at five, just because I think what he was able to do, the you know kind of the skill he was able to do it with, and a lot of these other guys who are in that conversation, whether it's Bill Russell. Uh, Shaq, Wilt Chamberlain is a name, you know, people like throwing around. They were big when kind of nobody else was big. Uh, I mean, you know, kind of with the exception of Shaq. But I don't know. It, it was just such a different game that from what I've seen in the competition that Kobe did have to face, what he did both with and without Shaq, I, I would slot him in there at number five. Well, I appreciate you for it. Speaking of the Lakers, HBO is now having a Sunday night uh, enjoyment for myself and every other Laker fan out there with winning time a phenomenal cast is recreating what the NBA and the Los Angeles Lakers went through after the 79 season uh, throughout the 80s uh, and if you haven't watched it I highly recommend it it's got great people in great roles John C. Riley is a spot on Dr. Jerry Buss uh, Jason Clark is it's scary how much he does look like Jerry West. And uh, that first episode gave us a glimpse into the hidden side of Jerry West that most of us NBA fans don't know about. Uh, because when we see him, it's either, you know, it's either him playing in his playing days or it's him talking as a, you know, VP president, basketball operations guy. Uh, but this man was a fireball for these Lakers as head coach was not happy with Magic Johnson being taken because he thought they already had their starting point guard in Norm Nixon. And uh, this second episode gave us a little more insight into Jerry West, uh, gave us a little more insight that I wasn't a fan of <laughs> into Magic Johnson. <laughs> uh, but uh, And then we get to meet the 
the devil himself when it comes to Laker fans. <laughs> that would be one Red Auerbach played by the fantastic Michael Chiklis. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Auerbach stuff was like so over the top. It was like it was it was really fun to watch though. But that's where you kind of take the transition from oh, like, I wonder if this story is real. I wonder if this kind of happened to, like, okay, this is definitely a TV show. Um, <laughs> but it was it was awesome. He uh, he was great in the role. They were both great in the role. And uh, one thing that this uh, TV show is kind of paying for me is just, like, how important, obviously not only the Lakers, the, the Larry Bird-Magic Johnson rivalry, um, which, you know, I, I already knew and had heard, you know, had saved the NBA – but just like how important Jerry Buss was like in particular in, in the NBA's whole scope, right? He's the one who mm -hmm. brought magic to LA when nobody else in the organization wanted to, uh, you know, he had the idea to make the forum this, like this LA hotspot as opposed to just a place where the Lakers played basketball when, you know, nobody really cared about basketball. Mm -hmm. And, is I don't know. I guess I just didn't realize how kind of seminal he was in the like entirety of the you know the, the NBA scope and NBA history. Uh, one thing that I thought was super cool is you know we got to meet David Stern in this mm -hmm. uh, in this episode, and I you know I don't know if he actually looked like that or or not when he was younger, but uh, I thought it was really funny i'm trying to find the quote that he said here it is he said something about like the future of basketball mm -hmm. uh stern was talking to jerry bus and jerry bus said the lakers are your future david and like goddamn, was he right i don't know again if that was a tv show thing or if that was uh like something that, I, I that actually happened oral history but man that was cold-blooded yeah i wouldn't put it past jerry bus to say that to david stern uh absolutely not and that, that is something that if you're not watching this show because you think it's just about the Lakers, this is exactly why you should watch this show because it's not just about the Lakers. Yes, the Lakers in the 80s are known as Showtime, but Jerry Buss wanted to make the NBA Showtime. That was his goal. He said there's there's no reason why this can't be a phenomenal entertaining league. And everyone was so down in it. That, and go do your history on why, but there was rampant drug use. And it was putting a black eye on the league. There was so many issues involved throughout different teams and players that it games were being, you know, they were being recorded and then played later. NBA Finals games were being tape delayed. They were not being aired live. There was just so much bad going on in the NBA. And Jerry Buss is a big part of why the league is now where it is. Getting to that point, David Stern, huge part of it, absolutely, as the commissioner. But Jerry Buss kind of helped, you know, kind of kick this thing into high gear and turn the NBA into a money-making machine and an entertaining league. And I think that we're going to see more and more of that as this series goes on. But two episodes in, I'm all in on it. I think it's oh. uh, you're learning a lot of things that you might not want to learn, <laughs> but you're going to anyway if you watch this show. And uh, the casting so far has been spot on. I'm looking forward to seeing who they're going to pick for Isaiah because you know that's going to come in at some point, and the rest of the bad boys, who they're going to pick for Michael Jordan, because you know that's going to come along at some point. And if they even preview the future a little bit, we might see a Shaq, we might see a Kobe, 
you know, there's going to be other guys that we're used to seeing later on that might be mentioned near the end of this series as well. But uh, really well done series so far, two episodes in. Really enjoying it. Yeah, and they did uh, less less fourth wall breaking. So yes. I'm, I'm all for that. There was definitely a lot less fourth wall breaking. And uh, and the great Academy Award winner herself, Sally Fields, playing uh, Jerry Buss's mother. Uh, nice quick little spot with her. And uh, she's just always fantastic. <laughs> Someone not always fantastic, not always truthful, is the truth that Shaq gave him that nickname himself. Paul Pierce, wilding out on our NBA Twitter moment of the week, Ryan. So Paul Pierce was on the, I think it's called the No Chill podcast. No Chill Gilbert Gil, Arenas. Yep. Gilbert Arenas. And he, he, they're talking about James Harden and all these teammates hard in his head. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving, you know, now Joel Embiid, Chris Paul. And Paul Pierce said that if he would have played those with those players or players of that caliber uh, when he was in his prime, like James Harden is, he would have five championships. <laughs> and, like, come, come on, man. Like, Paul Pierce says a lot of dumb things. Um, 12 hours later, 24 hours later, uh, he was on Instagram out here getting a, a little too freaky with, I guess, his new girlfriend. And that was just on Instagram Live for some reason. So always, always a fun story with, with Mr. Pierce, but like, no, you wouldn't. It's just like, stop it right there. No, you would not. There's absolutely, it's preposterous to even think that you would have 12 championships if you got to play with these guys. Cause what you're ignoring is that James Harden didn't get to play with all these guys on one team, right? When he first had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, he was the sixth man. And then he got to play with Dwight Howard when you had these other loaded teams in the NBA and James Harden and Dwight Howard wasn't anything that anybody thought enough for a championship. Uh, and then he had Chris Paul on his team and they got close. And then Chris Paul got hurt in the playoffs. And, you know, he was just on a team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And all of them played, I think, all of eight games like together. And now he's with Joel Embiid, right? Like there's a, there's so much that you can criticize James Harden for. And that wasn't just to defend James Harden for, for all of his losing ways, but to <laughs> act like, like your situation when you were coming up in your prime from 2004 to 2010, you know, whatever kind of years he wants to, to mark that as that you were going up against the same caliber of teams. Um, if you would have had that talent, you would just be out here ringing off five championships in those six years. It's, it's a ridiculous thought. And Paul Pierce says a lot of ridiculous things. And I think it's uh, I think it's just to like stop people from, forgetting how good he actually you know was because there's a lot of these great players that go forgotten but this this isn't the way to go about it i hate this topic altogether because i hate paul pierce and i hate james harden so i don't want to defend either one of these fools but it's absolutely in paul pierce's interest to stay semi-relevant because his shine was stolen by lebron without lebron james paul pierce is the best small forward of his era he's very much involved in trying to lead the Celtics to a title. He had bum teammates. His best teammate for the longest time was Antoine Walker. And that man ate himself out of the league. <laughs> and then eventually his, you know, former Celtic Kevin McHale threw him a bone <laughs> in Kevin Garnett. And they put together their big three with Ray Allen. And then Rondo came along to help kind of complete that team. And that team embarrassed my Lakers like none other in game six of the 2008 NBA Finals. So he got himself a ring, and 
he had a very good career. He might have performed better with the names that he listed for James Harden's teammates because he plays a very different game than James Harden. James Harden doesn't take advantage of his teammates because all James Harden does is play iso ball. He doesn't care about going down on the post. He doesn't care about setting picks and doing and jumping off of it. He doesn't care about anything but give me the ball and let me see what I can do with it. So he's not taking advantage of the teammates he had because he needs to have the ball in his hand. But I'm not going to defend him for that, and I'm not going to defend Paul Pierce for making the asinine statement that he made because they play very different games. Paul Pierce may have played a better game with the names of the guys he listed who was played with James Harden because Paul Pierce doesn't have to have the ball in his hand the whole time. In fact, it's to his betterment that he doesn't because he's not a great ball handler. He's going to get himself to the elbow, and he's going to hit his 12-foot jumper from the corner there, the corner, the elbow right there, the top of the key, all day long because that's what Paul Pierce did. He tried to get to that spot any way he could, and he might have utilized those teammates better. But you got one championship that you needed Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen to come along and help you get to. You had a really good team, and maybe if Kevin Garnett doesn't blow out his knee, we have three straight years of Lakers and Celtics in the finals, which would have been fantastic. But – didn't happen. KG blew out his knee. You were nowhere to be heard of for that year in 09. He came back in 2010, lost in seven to Kobe. Lost in seven to Kobe. We remind Paul Pierce one more time. You didn't get a retirement ceremony like Kobe because you were uh, Kobe. Uh, like that's, uh, I mean, well, that's one of the other things about it too is James Harden as the main player on the team took – the Rockets way farther than you ever took the Celtics when you were just like the clear cut number one option. And like, I know it's towards the end of Paul Pierce's career, but he played with some great players too, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was on the team with prime Blake Griffin and prime Chris Paul. Uh, He was on the team with, you know, John Wall when he was still healthy and Bradley Beal. So like for me, it's not the first time he's flew off the handle. He said he had a better career than Dwayne Wade, Uh, you know, like years ago. And it's just, I don't know, man. Again, I think a lot of these old players, you know, tend to tend to for, get forgotten, and he's trying to make sure that doesn't happen. And that part of it, I, re- I respect. But like, let people tell you you're good, like like they do for T Mac, right? Because now yeah. everybody, every time they see T Mac, oh man, you were one hell of a player. Yep. And like, it's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, T Mac was nasty. Like, let let people tell that for you. Yeah, the difference is Paul Pierce didn't have the injuries to end his career the way that T-Mac did. So there's no what if with Paul Pierce. We saw what Paul Pierce could do. Very, very good player. Very good small forward. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I still don't think he should have won MVP of those finals. I still think that should have went to Kevin Garnett. But I digress. It is what it is. We can definitely argue with that on another show because this is the end of this show. So for Ryan Griffin, I'm Matt Basson. We're throwing stones. Don't forget. Find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok. We got full episodes on YouTube. We appreciate y'all coming to our show, commenting, letting us know what we can do better. We always want to hear that stuff. And for both of us, we wish y'all have a great night. We'll see you next time on Throwing Stones. Yep. Happy birthday to me tomorrow. Woo.